recovery doesn't mean just, oh, I'm not using and I'm just going to sit still and never get loaded. It's like, you know what? I want to travel. My guys are traveling all over the world. On our Facebook, there's posts. They're in Egypt. They're in one of one of my guys is in Australia right now. They're, then they post. And when they go, like Nick went to Tibet, within a day, he knew a guy in recovery hit a meeting. Is there anyone out there? From Darkness to Life contains the real stories of individuals who found their way out of the darkness caused by mental health challenges and substance abuse. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please reach out when you're ready to ourcollectivejourney.ca or on Facebook at Our Collective Journey. Hey, welcome to another episode of From Darkness to Life and Our Collective Journey podcast. Uh, brought to you by Nicole Davis Real Estate, buying or selling, call Nicole. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, you've turned that into a, like a radio ad now. Yeah, you've done it enough. Nailing it, eh? you are. Yeah, I don't ever want to do it now because I know I'll fuck it up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm here with my good buddy Ryan today, and a really cool, exciting guest that we got. But we can get to him in a sec. Mm-hmm. How's Ryan doing? Doing really well, buddy. Um, this is the first podcast I've done from the comforts of a nice couch. So this is really interesting and really yeah. cool. Yeah. We've got a Flames game on the background. If anybody hears some good fight background on. music. Yeah. Yeah, this things oh, are good. A tilt on right Hockey. now, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, things are good. How yeah. about you? Good. I'm doing good. We're uh, up in Calgary right now for a recovery conference that is proven to be one of our yearly staples and it's mm-hmm. always exciting it's like reuniting with family when you come up to these things now you walk through the halls and you know half the people and everybody's giving you hugs it's it's pretty fucking it's pretty cool. special yeah i was just saying i was telling you earlier <laughs> last night i was laying in bed watching an edgy well taking a course on brain chemistry and addiction at like 10 o'clock at night and I'm like, holy fuck, times have changed. I'm like looking out the window at a strip club across the street, and I'm going, and I'm laying in bed learning about the brain chemistry of addiction. I'm like, That's what the wild, fuck happened? Right? Man, you turned that corner. <laughs> nice work. No kidding. So uh, with us today is is Dave. Dave, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name's Dave. I'm an addict. Um, I've been clean, let's see, since 1983. Nice. So I did something, right? Son of a bitch, I was born in 82. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no kidding, I was hey? detox in 82. <laughs> <laughs> Too much celebrating life, right? That's yeah. right. Yeah. So Dave is the f- founder. Am I right in saying the founder? Um, no, not true. Uh, a guy named Jim Ross started The Last Door, and him and Lance uh, Riley, they ran it for a few years. It was uh, connected to a program called Turning Point, mm-hmm. and they were stretching out from Vancouver into New West. They did it for a couple of years, but they had some problems. They couldn't get community support. They didn't have the money. Um, you know, they didn't have the outside support, you know. And uh, so they got to a point where they decided uh, they were just going to do Vancouver and they were going to pull out. I was a volunteer there. Big A&W mug of coffee and a <laughs> game of chess and a meeting and recovery. And I loved it. It was, I got suggested if I wanted to stay clean, get involved, help somebody else. So I volunteered. Yeah. Like I went to meetings, did recovery, but I wanted a little more than that. I up the ante. Like, and, and it's not that I wanted to work in this business. I, I like being a volunteer. And uh, I think it was Lance or Jim told me they were going to close the program down. And I was like, what am I going to do? <laughs> so at first I wasn't thinking of them. I was thinking of me. And then I thought, okay, well, I know how to not do treatment. 
I mean, I've had a few treatment experiences that weren't like super negative, but I, I didn't get well and I didn't stay clean. And, you know, I had some opinions. And uh, so I bought the place. I said to him, nice. how much you want to buy the whole place? They're leaving anyway. So they give me a number. I bought the place. And I was like, okay. Collectively, there's a bunch of us that said they'd help me. We know how to not do treatment, and we know how to not do recovery. We know how to not do damn near anything. Yeah. We would fuck up a pet rock, right? <laughs> so so uh, we started out with some basics. Probably for about four years, I thought, you know what I want to do? Because one of my pet peeves was I went to treatment, and like I said, I never got much out of it because I was detoxing the whole time. Mm-hmm. So I thought, how about I do... Like, a, develop a good environment, put some good food on the table, get guys, you know, used to being clean and back to sanity and feeling good, self-esteem, part of all that, and then go to treatment. Yeah. And I thought treatment will really work. And I really thought I could have got a lot out of treatment had I had been detoxed and had a start. But instead, I didn't. And so I started doing that. And uh, I got a hold of all the treatment centers and told them what I was going to do. And they were like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever. And uh, But then they got a few of my guys in there, and they're like, wow. They're like group ready, yeah. functional. Half their clients are still getting pissed till the moment they walk in the door. Absolutely. And uh, so they liked my guys. Next thing you know, I was getting preferential beds. So I'd phone up uh, some of the directors and say, hey, I got five guys that are ready for treatment. They're like, done, got you five beds. And those guys would go, and they would affect and influence other people. Mm-hmm. So they really liked my guys. So I did this pre-treatment stuff for quite a while, but then a lot of them, they wanted to come back to the door uh, after they did treatment. And what was really cool is they brought this super positive energy back. And so we started growing and developing and uh, I went to school while I did that and I got trained and certified and, uh, and I thought, you know, there's some of these guys it's going to take more than a few months clean and treatment. Mm-hmm. Like um, some of them were multiple treatment. You know, they they struggled. They didn't listen to nobody. You know, uh, a guy could li- Yeah, you know, this is before fentanyl. Back in the day, the front page of the paper is like this dope came into town and people are dropping dead. I literally watched guys put on their shoes, say goodbye, and walk out the door because they wanted some of that. Yeah. Didn't matter how bad it was. You could know the next one's going to kill you, but yeah. I'm still going to do it, right? And we just kept working on the environment. And then even some of those guys, when they asked for help, well, we'd bring them back, you know, like, uh, you know, like no judgment. I get it. Um, I'm not doing it, but mm-hmm. I, I get it. And, uh, you know, eventually uh, I figured, because I'm a smart ass, I figured we could do better than the treatment. And uh, one of my pet peeves with it was it was COVID. <clears throat> So, for a lot of guys, co-ed treatment's a bad idea. Yep. And I don't so, know who yeah, wouldn't so, be a bad idea for. Yeah. So, I started learning what they were doing, and I got some help from those directors. Mm-hmm. Like, if you want to learn how to do this, we'll show you how to do it. Nice. And so, I still made some referrals for certain guys who had to go to back to work in a time frame, short. It was great. For other guys who had the time, they would stay with us for a year. And, and they take their cake and their family be in their life, you know, all the bonuses, mm-hmm. you know, and they'd be good influence on, on the other guys. And we started developing um, our own idea of treatment, you know, and uh, some of it was really common sense. Um, 
you know, the recovery in our community really started growing. Like, we just wanted to enjoy it, yeah. you know? I don't want to go to treatment and sit there and cry and bitch and mm-hmm. blame and complain. Like, we started having fun. That's what I talked, like, we've had a, a number of guests from the door on our podcast now. And that's the one thing, In you know, even in a couple of days that I was out there getting to visit you guys, the, the community, like, not just the house itself, but yeah. the community, all, like, the meetings that I went to, it's just remarkable, the energy around the entire city really around yeah. as far as recovery goes and we even tried to like isolate what that secret sauce is how'd you guys make <laughs> yeah, that yeah. happen right <clears throat> well it's, it's time too we had mm-hmm. time on our side so when some people come and see it they're like wow it's good first impression but that didn't just happen yeah, yeah. when i first went into new west there was two na meetings and maybe six people wow that's the biggest meeting in town and most people weren't reading the book. They weren't doing the steps. Um, you know, it was a lot of war stories and Tough mm-hmm. Guy Tuesday. You know, that kind of crap, right? And so my guys tough started... Guy Tuesday. I yeah, like they started changing that atmosphere because they were reading the literature, working yeah. the steps, being positive, having fun. And they would start bringing that energy to the meetings. Well, then people from all over started coming to the meetings. They were attracted by that energy. And our community grew. And a lot of guys would come you know do recovery with us and they would stay in the community so it grew i mean our smallest meetings are a couple hundred people wow and it's pretty intimate you know people are used to it we use podiums you know like uh it makes treatment work because yeah you could do treatment but what about when treatment's done yeah for sure so people are connected in the community they have a sponsor um we we help people get jobs careers education you know um Guys have relationships, you know. Here's a good story. This is an example of how this grew. Guy's in treatment. He's got a wife and a kid, and his wife's pregnant. And there's a lot of pressure. And um, he's a heroin addict, and he's clean, multiple treatment. I mean, he's a pretty sharp guy. He's entertaining, but he outsmarts himself. But so he, um, he gets involved. He's doing good. So he can't go stay in treatment anymore because he has a wife. She's going to have a baby. He has another kid. The mm-hmm. pressure's on. And rather than move him out, we got apartment buildings as part of our complex. We moved her in. Nice. She stayed there with the kid, had the baby while she was in there. We brought in a family counselor. She became part of our whole community. She had the baby. And it was just like that energy. It, it contributed to what we were doing. All the guys were uncles. Like oh, the energy yeah. was just crazy. They stayed another year. And... Um, it was just, you know, it just changed everything. My view of how we could do family work. Okay, well now it's 10 years later, the kids are grown. Um, he's still clean. She, um, she's on my board now. <laughs> she works in the business. Um, you know, like it couldn't be better, but that little decision, the what can we do with yeah. the situation? Let's try this, see what happens. Now, as know? opposed to like the boxes that you got to fit in to get into most programs. Yeah, we don't got boxes, right? <laughs> you know, but you know, people act, like few people since here that last year and this year have already asked me, how do you do the no smoking thing? Because they, they would like to, but they don't know how to figure it out. Or oh, it'll kill the referrals. Nobody will come. Nobody will stay. Um, you know, they got a pretty bad idea. And it's just like, well, you develop a culture. No one that works for me smokes. There's the big part. It ain't like the staff are out by the dumpster blowing lawn yeah. darts while the clients can't smoke, right? Yeah. 
we don't use uh, replacement. Um, and even guys, I've had guys that are three pack a day smokers. Go, I can't believe how easy this is because it's the culture, the community, mm-hmm. the environment that, you know, no one's smoking. No one smells like it. You know, you don't have those two brown fingers that look like they've been up your ass all day, you know. <laughs> so you feel better, you eat better, the exercise more. Like, it's just an absolute win all the way around. Mm-hmm. But if your staff were smoking, yeah. I don't think you could pull it off, no, right? for sure. So we've been no smoking for over 25 years. In 25 years, we've probably lost, I don't know, maybe four clients over it as an issue. And really, I don't think it was the real issue. I right. think they just want to split anyway. <clears throat> Um, half of the guys, when they leave, start smoking. So it's 50-50, which is pretty good. Yeah. But within six months, half of the guys who smoke quit. So 75%. Yeah, right? that's you know, amazing. So you think about, you know, healing. More people die from smoking cigarettes than probably all the other drugs combined, you know. And uh, so, yeah, 25 years. Then we want to do our youth program, no smoking. Oh, you can't do that. None of the kids will go there. None of, always the same bullshit. Yeah. People phoning me and <laughs> threatening me, you know, you're creating barriers. You're killing people. And it's just like, you know. You know, oh, that was the other. Oh, you're making money off people's misery. I'm like, hey, come on over, hang out. I don't see anybody in misery right now. The boys yeah. are laughing their asses off. It's steak and cake on Friday. Good energy, you know. One of the doctors downtown, her big, her big thing was people are entitled to their euphoria. And I'm like, <laughs> wow. Last time I went down Hastings Street, I didn't see anybody in euphoria. <laughs> no. I see people dying. Yeah. You know? So it's, there's a, you know, there's a paradox. If people are making money, they'll do it till you're dead. Right? I want my guys to get well, come back as alumni. Right? So mm-hmm. we have hundreds, thousands of alumni. Like the recovery day when we yeah. did that. When we first started, I think it was a little thing down on the steps of the library in Vancouver. A few hundred people showed up, a couple of booths, and it's pretty much the signs, give us free dope, you know, all that bullshit. And we just thought, you know, that could be so much more because rather than be so anonymous, we're invisible, mm-hmm. we need a voice. And we started, and I tell you, like, last year is proof in the pudding. We had uh, hundreds of vendors. We had, uh, you know, uh, like a few bands, um, a whole day event, 50,000 people showed up, you know, for recovery. Mm-hmm. So there's a voice out there. It's just tapping into that, yeah. you know. And so for us as a program, it adds a lot, you know, like the guys take it serious, you know. Like I used to say, there's, we don't have many rules, no crime, no violence, no using, and no exception to the first three rules. And, uh, you know, having... A boundary so a guy who's sensitive or passive can get well and so for a guy who's aggressive and you know can get well you know and work together so I think we found a good formula you mm-hmm. know like I worked there for 30 well, 37 38 years and uh, I'm kind of retired right now <laughs> trying to get well you know um, but I still love doing it yeah you know, talk recovery be around the guys watch somebody get you know, make amends, be with their family, visits with kids, like, you know, all the stuff we do in recovery is just amplified when you're doing it with a group, right? Yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty cool, the whole environment you guys have built there. It's, it's 
every time I got a guest on from the door, I'm like, man, if you could just bottle that up and ship it out, like, yeah. it's it's pretty remarkable. <clears throat> the whole community, you, you know, you, you've almost developed an industry within the community as well, right? The economic impact of it. I know when I talked to you when we were there, when I was up there in October, the barriers that you guys faced was as far as zoning and the neighbors yeah. pissed off and, you know, we don't want that in our neighborhood. It's good for, it's good, but not in my backyard, you know? Um, and then how you guys have turned that around with the amount of community involvement that's, you know, yeah. a requirement or a suggestion. I don't even know how you guys do it, but like any, any, anything, right? There's always door boys volunteering for every yeah. possible thing that you can. Yeah. Some of the events, they're like the best volunteers they ever have. It's like a code of conduct in the community. It can't be anything goes. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing is we grew slow. We weren't like, you know, 100 plus beds instantly. Yeah. It was a little bit at a time. Um, and we supported the community. Like the boys will shovel snow, rake leaves, you know, like our neighbors For all know the snow us. you guys get. Yeah, well, <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> yeah. You know, but you, you, you get involved in the community, like the church across the street, anything we need, you know. Like yeah. we put together some big work programs. Like there's a senior lodge um, over in Sapperton. And the one person I know works there says, oh, we're really struggling. I go, what's up? Well, the place is getting kind of dumpy, right? I said, well, I got some guys. I mean, I got tradesmen. I got carpenters, electricians, plumbers, everything else. And they're like, they're like, well, you know, if you guys could help. We're like, okay, let's make a plan. Well, we rebuilt the building. We built uh, handicap ramps. We did the landscaping. Uh, did everything. You know, and a bunch of guys. And it's as the guys did it, you could see their self-esteem oh, and sure. their sense of community. Now, here's a little spin off of that. Everybody that lives in that community, their parents go to that place. You know, seniors, right? They play cards and do all yeah. kinds of shit. Well, of course, they're talking about us. Yeah. You know, and if you talk about um, addiction, people conjure up some pretty dark shit. Oh, for right? sure. And when they talk about treatment, <clears throat> recovery houses and all that, they're always talking about addiction. They're not talking about recovery, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So we made that recovery impression. And, um, like, that community support doubled right there. We did some, pro, you know, some work like that for churches. And, like, Amazon <clears throat> gives us um, donations, you know, as a charity, truckloads of stuff. It's all new, whatever. Yeah. Um, there's a social reason why we do it so we do it and you can't sell it mm -hmm. you can you know take care of your clients whatever but what we do is we find out all the charities in the neighborhood like the family programs and that and we just haul everything over there you know we got tons of dog food and cat food and all this for whatever reason amazon doesn't sell it we got it well of course we take it to the sbca and yeah. we donate it to them you know so you you keep a rhythm and a momentum like this conference here like it's building every year um you know us having a voice having an opinion and you know we want to be part of change you mm -hmm. know um <laughs> when I went to the first harm reduction conference, the first one, I know the people that put it on and started it, and, uh, you know, they said, oh, yeah, like, you know, we want to do this thing, but w we believe treatment works. We're not going to mess with treatment, you know, and, you know, they had a pretty good rap, and, you know, it sounded good, and... and. Um, Calgary just scored. No, <laughs> no, the Flyers Philly. scored. Philly. Philadelphia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry for the pause there. Yeah. Good hockey game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, 
like we're not doing it oppositional to anything they're right. doing. We're, we don't fight with people. We just, we do recovery. And part of this conference is there's a big harm reduction component in this mm-hmm. conference. You know, if it saves somebody's life, you got to save them to get them into treatment. But they kind of buggered up the treatment in a way that most treatment centers are handing out methadone and suboxone. And in some places, you know, like they just did a youth program in the Fraser Valley and uh, abstinence isn't even required. Like, I'm puzzled by that, you know. And and it's funny they they got they get paid for all those beds. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> There's nobody in most of those beds, right? And I look at our kids, and you get to watch them come back to life, and you yeah. see their families happy, and you know, like a lot of the dads have told me, worst thing I've ever been through in my life is watching my kids get loaded, right? Mm-hmm. And trying to find an answer when you're in that spot, right? Like. You know, there's different ways to get to recovery, but, you know, you got to find something that'll work for you that you can, how you can live. Yeah. You know, it can't just be a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. That's the key. I think that people forget that last part that you just said, how to live and better quality of life and those types of phrases. People forget those and it's, it's just, let's just continuously find a safe way to do this. Well, quality of life gets flush down the toilet eventually i think some people are born addicts like first time they use it just goes click yeah most people i think we lived our way into this problem a little at a time like i used to be able to work i used to have a family i used to use you know those are common stories right you know well i guess the answer is you need to live your way out of this mess right Mm -hmm. you know and i come up with brig this is my biggest thing this took me years to develop. This is huge. This is therapy. We'll love this one. <laughs> you te- if you can teach guys this, because some of them really lack conscience, right? And they struggle. But if you can teach people this, don't do nothing you can't talk about. Think how deep that is. And think about how many problems in life, if you were listening to anybody but you, mm-hmm. it would have been a little bit different. Because it's funny, you know, as you're sinking into that madness, Anybody would treat you better than you're treating yourself. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, first time through those steps, they write it out and they look at it. And when they quit blaming everybody else, they realize, yeah, nobody screwed me over more than me. For sure. You know, so yeah, you start getting those little freedoms and you got to have a philosophy and an idea that you, that you talk about. It has to be consistent. So with my, like I say, with my staff, they're not smoking. They go to meetings, they do recovery. Um, you know, they give back. They're part of the community. And my guys see them in the community, which gives them credibility. You right. Know? And, That's and amazing. And they're the same stuff, right? Yeah, modeling recovery. Well, yeah. Absolutely. What a crazy concept. It's eh? so cool. It's funny when, you know, we were talking a little bit about... Um, that program you were talking about in the Fraser Valley. And it really reminds me of a lady who reached out to us last week. I don't know if I shared this with you, Rick, or not, but she messaged me to see what my thoughts and suggestions were around. Um, She connected with me late last fall. Her daughter, 12 years old at that time, was smoking marijuana, having some issues. So we talked about that and we, you know, worked on some, some ideas around that. Messaged me last week. She's seen a therapist now. And her therapist, she said, told her to continue just take the harm reduction approach and let your 13 year old continue smoking marijuana. And she said, what's your thoughts around that? And I said, well, I'd like to see if that was the only suggestion or is it part of a bigger plan? 
Because if it's part of a bigger plan, then that's something we could talk about. But if that's the only suggestion is just let your 13-year-old start doing weed as a form of harm reduction, I'm like, that seems like a cop-out to me. That's just easy work for a therapist to suggest that, and my work here is done. Yeah, 200 it's bucks just, an hour, thanks. Oh, it just turned my stomach to hear yeah, that. Yeah, It's pretty wild, the, the messages, the mixed messages out there now. And, and you know, before we clicked record, right, we were talking about that and how... That was, you know, that was kind of what gave birth to you guys, what gave birth to us. It's just that, that lack of voice of recovery because, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, I guess the opposing side of it has such a loud voice. And it's like, and then like you said, you know, I'm not against anything. I don't give a shit. I get that you need to be alive to be able to recover. I'm not arguing that. Yeah. But if that's the end of the equation, you know, the best analogy that I heard I got a couple weeks ago and it was like, you know, the harm reduction models, like finding a guy 200 yards offshore and teaching him to tread water instead of just to swim back to shore. (laughs) That's great. Right. It's like, you know, the fucking outcome, he's going to get tired. He's not going to be able to do that forever and he's going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Or you can teach him to swim to shore. Like (laughs) it's, and that was, when I heard that analogy, I was like, holy shit, that is the most accurate description I think I've ever heard of as this for goes sure. for an analogy right and it's it's pretty wild uh yeah just the messaging out there now with the fucking vending machines right. that you're talking about in the neighborhoods and stuff and and how skewed this has all become it's it's wild and, and it's altruistic yeah insanity <laughs> really isn't it yeah yeah you know softer easy every anything that helps somebody stay out there help somebody stay out there look at that piece right you know like if you you give me dope why do I need to get clean Mm -hmm. you know like back in the day people would share a lot about the rock bottoms and some of them were pretty brutal right and yeah that might keep you clean a while yeah and yeah, some people maybe kept them clean forever, but for a lot of people, you heal up, you feel better, and it's just like you start thinking, well, maybe I'll just smoke weed, or maybe I'll just drink a little bit. And if you're not active and involved in recovery, that's going to seem like a good idea. If you bounce it off people who know you and care about you, they might not agree with that idea. <laughs> you know, like so. The, I I don't think there's such a thing as a bottom. Myself, you know, I had worse ones and I didn't get clean. But I think the bottom is is when you say, you know what, I want to do something about this. Yeah. I don't know. If I don't live like that, I don't want to feel like that. I don't want to be like that. And I get around like-minded people that are the same. For that, sure. That one of the dilemmas we have in the city. It's a lot of those guys coming in. They have doctors and teams of people working with them saying, no, you got to be on these, on these drugs for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. We have the health minister, Bonnie Henry, saying, yeah, people on opiates don't get clean. Right. Can't get clean. We read I mean, that. Like, no. You know, it's like, are you insane? No. You know, so we decided to have a voice and have an opinion and not scrap with people, but participate in recovery, show people what we do. So what we do uh, say at the door it could be done anywhere because it's a community approach mm-hmm. and it takes you a while to for it to grow and develop like some of the communities up north wanted us to kind of reproduce what we're doing and we're like well that wouldn't work it's like you have to produce something that's going to work in your community for sure you can steal every idea we got we'll give it all away we don't we don't keep nothing from nobody it's transparent we invite people to come see participate i've had people come stay with us for two three weeks and and go to group and participate and they wanted to you know get the the inside track right and and they've all said it was one of the best experiences of their lives and they connected with people and but then they saw how in their community 
it could be done, but it would have to be different. Mm-hmm. It ha- would have to suit that community and that culture. And, uh, you know, the East Indian communities really like it. I'm moving a guy in, and the whole family comes over, mom, dad, the grandma, sisters and brothers, and they're checking the guy in, and they go for a wander through the whole place, talk to people, and we know we're good to go when the grandma goes. I like this environment. <laughs> That's so <laughs> cool. It's like a family environment. I get a firefighter check in, and he's going to do treatment. And within three days, he goes, well, this is like the fire hall. You know, it's like a brotherhood. It's, it, you know, we take care of each other. And he gets caught up in our energy. And, you know, yeah. and then they get well. And For then sure. when they go back to work, they, you know, affect other people. You know, one time I was talking to this firefighter, and I'm like, you guys spend your whole life saving other people. But who's going to save you? because of the stress and chaos and alcoholism yeah. and drug addiction, you know, and uh, and they respond to the environment really well and then they become leaders. Yeah. So every guy I work with, every guy who goes through our program, ultimately, when we're done, he's going to be a leader. Yeah. He's going to be able to help other people stay clean. He's going to be a sponsor. He's going to be involved in recovery. Um, when I got out of treatment... I didn't have none of that. Yeah. You know, I had some days clean. It was an interesting experience. I had eight. I finally detoxed. But my concept, perception, and idea of recovery and how to stay clean, I have any. Or go to a meeting. Yeah. You know, like, okay, yeah, you can go to a meeting. Ain't going to do nothing for you until you get involved. Yeah. You know? For sure. It'd be like, oh, look at all those fucking happy people. <laughs> and I'm full of contempt, right? You know, how do you defeat your own contempt? You know, they, it talks about willingness. You know, the first time I read the literature, it says, oh, you know, indispensable, honest, open-minded, willing. I go, oh, I'm screwed because I'm dishonest, unwilling. <laughs> I'm unteachable, basically. Yeah. But I, I, when I connected with people that had that energy and mm-hmm. I was just like, it seemed really sincere. And, you know, if he could do it, I could do it. And I got caught up in other people's energy. And people saved my life with a conversation. People saved my life by taking time from me. And, uh, you know, doing it in treatment, yeah, it's like, you know, it's a focused opportunity. A lot of the guys who go through, yeah, they might stay clean, but they're not the kind of guys who are going to sit down, pound out 12 steps, read the literature. You know, guys go to a, I went to treatment, I went to a meeting every week or so. It was just something to do, right? My ghosts go to two meetings a day, seven days a week, you know, and they get caught up in that energy. And when they go back to work, you know, we tell them you should, you know, pretty much turn the TV off and go to meetings. Yeah. You know, oh, we're going to go for dinner. Let's go to a, go for dinner early, go to a meeting. Let's uh, go for dinner after the meeting. You know, you, you, you include it in the formula, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, you know and, and you get the idea that if you do this, it's going to make what you learned in treatment valid, right? And so some guys go back to their hometowns, like Medicine Hat or wherever, and they hit meetings and connect with people, and then they come back and visit us. And I told them in our program, it's called Keep the Key. You got a key to that front door, it's yours. Dinner's on the table, you can always come here, you can always stay here, you know, don't cost you nothing, like as alumni. And and I did that because the alumni bring this incredible energy to the environment. For sure. Having them around really greases the wheels. The new guys get hope watching them, listening yeah. to them, you know. And then when guys fly in from out of town, I got guys from California, Toronto, Miami, they'll fly in. They're visiting dignitaries. They're like royalty, you know. <laughs> and they love it. They get spoiled. 
dinner's on the table, they hit a bunch of meetings, you know, they go to the gym, they, they're out in the community, they're hiking in the mountains, you know, and they're living the life, you know. Recovery doesn't mean just, oh, I'm not using and I'm just going to sit yeah. still and never get loaded. It's like, you know what? I want to travel. Mm-hmm. My guys are traveling all over the world. On our Facebook, there's posts. They're in Egypt. They're in one of one of my guys is in Australia right now. They're, then they post. And when they go, like Nick went to Tibet, within a day, knew a guy in recovery hit a meeting. That's you know? amazing. Um, they get off the plane <clears> in, in Mumbai. And the taxi driver's giving him a ride, speaks a little bit of English, and Nick looks, and there's a pamphlet for an NA convention. <laughs> and he's like, are you? Oh, yeah. Out of, and, I mean, out of a city of like a billion, billion people, people, there's the guy. It was just incredible stories, right? You know, higher power stuff, right? Yeah, you know, absolutely. There's a rhythm to it, right? And that's one of the cool things I think, you know, you just kind of touched on it, but that's one of the things that I really appreciate about your guys' program is so many programs are, are very isolating. Like, you know, you're, it's, it's like you're in prison, right? Locked down. So yeah, you're, you're totally safe while you're in that environment, but it doesn't set you up for success the day you walk out. Right. Whereas, you know, I I know just a couple of the folks that we, that have been involved with the door, right. And they're showing up their first day and they're going, okay, like unpack your bags and we're going for a walk. We're going to a meeting and they're like, like in the community, (laughs) you know, that have been through other treatment programs and like, what the hell do you mean? Like, I, I shouldn't be in the program. Like, I shouldn't yeah. be out in the community. Like, I'm, I'm not great, right? And and that's what I think one of the amazing pieces are is, is you build that resilience in community where it's actually like real-world experience. Yeah. You know, you're insulated to a certain extent, but you're not completely isolated from yeah. the world. Like, it's it's there. Yeah, The, the sure. opportunity to fuck up is there. Yeah. And so you need to make the choice, and that's what I think is cool about almost the fraternity feel about it is, yep. is you know, your boys won't let you fuck up. Like, they take care of each other. They yeah. take care of the new guy. Yeah. Then they learn how to do it, right? They think about, like, say, you know, all the shit around guys ODing, okay? So I do um, <coughs> programs where we do um, educational stuff. Guys will do the practicums with us. Mm-hmm. And so few of them have come in and they're working in, you know, downtown programs or out in the valley. And they're like, yeah, like I, I Narcan, the guy says, I Narcan 30 people this week. Oh, yeah. That's on the street? No, no, that's in treatment. And so <laughs> he's working with us. And I'm like, well, in the last 38 years, I've never narcan anyone. Um, well, then they're like, well, how many people OD here? So same thing. I, I had one guy OD, smuggled in some fentanyl, but we got him to the hospital in time. You know, that's their big concern is guys bringing dope into treatment. Well, there's an assessment, screening, you know, they're like, you're, you're cherry picking, you, you know. No, we work with some pretty hard cases, but we tap into those, those muscles and those bones that are in us that create desire to change. Mm-hmm. And when you're around people that are changing that you can relate to, you get inspired. You know, and so my guys are out in the community, they're up on the ski hills, they're, you know, if a guy's doing a road trip for a men's, like to, one guy went to Hawaii, everybody wanted to go with him. <laughs> Two guys went with him, and they're, you know, while they're over there, they, they did the amends, they went to meetings, they met people that came back, they shared that experience, but it was an experience of traveling, meetings, recovery, family, amends, and as they're sharing, guys are on the edge of their chair listening. 
not out of envy, oh, he got to go to Hawaii, you yeah. know what I mean? So that's normal for us, you know, that kind. Or like when you say, when you come visit, it's like, well, there's a stay, whatever, like the door's open, we're not hiding nothing, right? Yeah, and that was, that was what was really cool about my experience is I showed up and you're like, yep, walk me to my room, handed me a key, and we're like, yeah. There, there you go. Welcome meet, uh, groups at this time, dinners at this time. Don't be late for either. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty cool environment. Yeah, that's part of that code of conduct, too. Like, a lot of recovery when I first got clean was kind of like, okay, don't use even if your ass falls off. For some people, that was their whole program. Um, and it was kind of like the anything goes recovery. Mm-hmm. So as long as I'm clean, I could still be a thief, a liar, yep. use women, you know, like, um, and we just decided, let's put the brakes on all the bullshit. And some people don't like that. Oh, it's, it's, it's uh, boot camp or they've called it. Yeah, it's boot camp. The boys are having steak and cake on Friday. You know, the energy's just <laughs> insanely positive. They have no idea because they've never been to our place. Yeah. Like, like the, some of the harm reduction is, you're killing people. And I'm like, well, I haven't had anybody die from recovery lately, but <laughs> if I do, I'll let you know. They don't have an idea. Then when yeah. you invite them to come, hang out, sit in, not interested. Yeah. Yeah. We have a meeting on Thursday. It's about 300 people, super positive, hundreds of young people. Like under 2,500 people there. Easy. That's what's and when they get up, they can pound the a massive recovery. I've tried to get politicians to come to one of those, you know, because yeah. it's not a closed meeting. You should <clears throat> you need this experience. You know how many have come? Zero. Not one. Yeah. Yeah. And then some of them <clears throat> will come see our program. I had a guy do a walkthrough. He was going to be the new director of addiction mental health. And he's like, this is great, but... We got this new policy and they started calling it a prolapse so people are gonna it's a prolapse and i started laughing i couldn't help it a prolapse. i only know one definition i go that. last time i relapsed i od'd i was on life support so how do you call that a prolapse yeah. the guys i'm working with a lot of them they've really taken it to wall if they don't have you know you're almost supposed to say to somebody as they're checking into treatment look Okay, we know you're going to get loaded a few times while you're here, but you need to trust us and tell us, and, and we could be part of that process. That's a prolapse. Like, oh, yeah, well, what if they don't tell you? Well, if they hide it and, and get caught, but then if they get honest, that's still okay, too. And I'm just like, you know, it's conta- don't you guys realize it's contagious? Absolutely. So they got programs that <clears throat> were abstinent where half the guys in there are on methadone. They're completely obliterated. It's contagious. I don't want to be loaded, but you put me around that, I'll start wanting it. Absolutely. That's the button, you know, that I had to do recovery in a way. And I've got a lot of years clean, but I don't want to do anything that makes me start wanting it. Mm -hmm. And I've been through a lot lately. I've like, like, (laughs) I've got stage four cancer. I've got lung cancer, throat cancer, lymph cancer, prostate cancer. Like, I'm a fucking beater car. And they give me... Oh, and a long shot in the beginning, a month to live. That is a mind fuck, let me tell you. Eh? And you have that moment, it's just like, you know what? Wow. I'm going to fucking kill myself because I'm not putting my family through this shit. And I've seen a few of my friends have died of cancer. It's brutal, right? And uh, it took me about six days, and I surrendered. I started this, I made the decision I'm going to do this cancer recovery the way I do 
my addiction recovery. So I got educated. I started doing everything I could do. Shotgun theory. I'll try everything. I've tried all kinds of weird shit, stuff I don't even want to talk about. It's embarrassing. <laughs> Most of the cures for cancer are toxic, poisonous, painful. It's a fucking horrible experience. Worst shit I've ever been through in my whole fucking life. And uh, literally, I'm so sick, I can't walk 10 feet. And uh, I'm in the hospital, and uh, I'm in the, because of my age, I'm in the, in the, ward where all the older people are because I'm older <laughs> and uh, literally I'm not shitting you somebody died every night it was just freaky shit wow and, uh, yeah it was one of those one of those moments like uh, I'm on the shit <laughs> this is how it happened I'm on the shitter my heart's banging 240 I'm dying I'm gonna I'm about to die for real and uh, I go, I'm not dying on the shitter. I'm not pulling an Elvis, Elvis. here. <laughs> yeah, like I'm making it back to that bed. I made it back to the bed and I hooked stuff up while, all, and I didn't realize all these alarms went off. And then I hear this code blue. <laughs> so they call the code blue and I look and, this, and here comes the team down the hall with all their gear. <laughs> they were pretty excited. And I'm looking around because I'm wondering who's dying tonight. And uh, God damn, they jumped on me, cracked open my shirt, put this shit on me, and they're like, if we don't stop your heart, you're going to die. And they're, and I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, sure. Wow. And so they're trying to find a vein. We're doing all this shit. It's a pretty intense moment. No kidding. Like, I'm, I'm dead. I'm going to die for sure. I'm not even afraid of it anymore. It's so brutal. And uh, they're like, okay, are you ready? And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm ready. And so they pop me with this stuff, and they stop my heart. I'm no bullshit. Like, this is a hard one to explain. I felt so peaceful in that moment, it's almost indescribable. Absolute peace. No stress, no care. Like, they're, they're pumped. I'm not. And uh, they're like, okay, we're going to start your heart again. This is all pretty quick. And, and it went back to normal. And I'm like, I feel pretty good. So then they send a counselor in to kind of straighten out my head because they figure I'm going to be buggered up because of this. And I'm like, they're like, she's talking to me. And I'm like, wow, that was really exciting. <laughs> and she's like, exciting? I go, yeah. She's like, well, I've never heard anybody say that before. And I'm like, well, I've been through a lot of shit in my life, let me tell you. And this was one of the more interesting uh, moments. And uh, I, I just started getting better. Wow. You know, like the doctor said to people here, if you get up and move, you'll get out of here. People that don't, won't. So I was rolling around with the pole in the bag. And, <laughs> you know, they, they sent me home. But they sent me home telling me, see, this is the thing about what you tell somebody. They sent me home telling me I got three weeks to go on wow. a long shot, if I'm lucky. I got COVID. I got lung cancer. I can't breathe. I do breathing meditations. I do Wim Hof. I'm the guy in the ice water. I can do 30 minutes now. Wow. And I started out and it boosts my immune system and all that. And I do the breathing meditation. When I started, I, could, I, I wanted to bring my breathing back because, you know, when you got lung cancer, you can't breathe. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, try to do that all day. You know, and I started getting better. I started doing these breathing meditations, doing the Wim Hof stuff. Next thing you know, I could hold my breath for, like part of it is you do it, you breathe out and don't breathe in. I do these breath holds. So then I do 
a minute, a minute and a half, two, two and a half, three. Wow. The ones I do now, I start at three. On an easy day, I go to five. On a good day, I can do seven. And so far, my title holding record, I did 10 minutes, 14 seconds, <sighs> held my breath. Oh, my goodness. I don't feel that pressure in my lungs anymore. <clears throat> and when I got tested for the cancer last time, all my tumors are shrinking. I'm getting better. Um, I did a vegan, yeah, this, I, should I talk about this shit? I don't yeah, know. absolutely. So I did a vegan diet because a lot of people who survived cancer just went totally vegan. So for three years, I did total vegan. Total. Cancer spread through my whole body. It didn't do shit for me, and I don't like to eat vegetables. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to find a new guy. I go online, and I, <laughs> I, I find this doctor who did this carnivore diet, yeah. and I'm like, and he's... Stage four cancer, go home and die. He's got a good story, and he said he started eating carnivore, and he was listening more to his body because he's got I got rheumatoid arthritis, and so I'm like, okay, well, if it helps for that, I couldn't even move this before, so I'll do that. And I started eating carnivore, and uh, I do my ice, I do my breathing, I do uh, 160 degree saunas every day, I do anywhere from five to ten miles of cardio, I do weight training. I do strength training, uh, I meditate, uh, usually two, two and a half hours every day. Wow. Really focused stuff, right? But focused about healing, strength, recovery, love, family, community. And I go to a lot of meetings because I'm sort of semi-retired here because I got sick. So I go every day and I connect with people and, you know, so. So how long ago did they give you three weeks? That's uh, three and a half years now. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. And, wow. Uh, you look great for a guy's I had a tumor dying. out here on my head. I looked like I had a conjoined twin. It was getting so big. It pretty, I mean, you can't ignore it when you're staring at it every day. <laughs> and the, the pain was just insane. Oh. Right now, I'm like, uh, no painkillers. Um, I got good stamina. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting better, right? You know, first chance I get, I want to go back to work, right? Wow. And a uh, friend of mine, this doctor, a friend of mine who just passed, um, he was telling me that... Uh, Get, get the stress out of your life. Because I used to pride myself on how much stress I could take. Mm -hmm. Like working with people can be pretty stressful. So I'm managing a, you know, 100-bed recovery facility with 36 staff and just, you know, everything that goes with that. Like I love what I did, but I, I could have had more help to do it, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, so now it's like I got a new perspective, you know, coming here doing this and, you know, doing recovery, going to meetings. I'm a grandpa now. You know, like I do, I was showing somebody the pictures. I do the ice water now. My grandson gets in with me. Wow. And he's like, gosh, cold. <laughs> he's a tough little bugger, you know. But that love, you know, it just heals me. I bought another dog. My dog died of cancer. What a piss cutter. I had this really nice little bulldog. Took him in. He was in pain. And they're like, oh, yeah, he's got cancer. I'm like, oh, what the fuck, man. So I... I I had to give him the nap, which really sucked. I was depressed because he would meditate with me. And uh, so I waited a little bit, but I went and got, no I got another little bulldog puppy and I'm wow. teaching him how to meditate. And just that love, you know, from him, from my grandkids, from my wife, mm -hmm. you know. I don't think my, my family's living in my cancer. I think they're living in my remission. Me and my doctor agree I'm in remission. It has nothing to do with the test. He says it has everything to do with your fucking attitude. I got more to do. Yeah. Know? So my heart is good. Um, you know, like if I have a bad day, like today's a really bad fucking day. I'm in a lot of pain, but I can cope with it. You know, I just chill out. I've learned how to relax. Did my breathing. I got in that 
shower the water out in this hotel just straight cold is spectacular <laughs> five minutes in there and i'm not too bad right wow. you know like you find things along the way just like recovery you find things and i was meeting people that did service in recovery that uh, had you know loyalty to the program that were involved in recovery helping other people and, and they seem to be the happiest of the pile and i'm like okay i want what they have mm -hmm. in the literature it says stick with the winners it doesn't have 10 more pages describing the losers it just says stick with the winners and it just means people that are like-minded so i'm like minded in the sense of I go to meetings every day that I read the literature I listen to speaker tapes I got in the habit of that when I worked in the Arctic building the winter roads I couldn't go to meetings right you know so <clears throat> I would listen to speaker tapes I, I had a massive collection at one point I think I had 10,000 because I'm obsessive <laughs> funny that and I'd meet other people that had collections funny that and we would trade and all that well then the zoom came in yeah I'll tell you what when I was in the hospital I was Zooming meetings every day, and uh, there was other people in the COVID ward that would come sit with me, and they're like, wow, that was incredible. I tell you, if I didn't have that, I would have went up on the roof and jumped. Like I I, bet. Because there was no hope, no inspiration. Like, the, the environment is so poisonous. I'm convinced I'm going to die. They're telling me I'm going to die. And I'm like, if I don't go home, I'm going to fucking die, you know? The other part of that is they saved my life. They really did, and I really appreciated that. And, and I'm, they're working hard, and, and you know it's a tough, tough job. Mm -hmm. And literally, let's say in the last three years, they've saved my life three times. Wow. You know? So I got no bad blood there. But I just I don't want to be in the hospital, and they don't want me to be there. They want you to get off your ass, move, go home. Just like recovery. Like if it's some namby-pamby bullshit where it's like, oh, I'll do your best. How about like put some effort into it? Yeah, exactly. Right? Like that. That. So people think we're a bit militant around that, but it's just like, you know what? We don't lower the expectations. You know, we'll lower the bar till you're sitting in a fucking bar. You know, how about, you know, they wanted us to give up abstinence as part of our program. And it's just like, well, you got a bunch of people loaded sitting in treatment. What's the point of that? Exactly. You have no idea. You know, and I couldn't imagine that they're giving out crystal meth. You give me fucking crystal meth, I'm going to steal your car, fuck your wife, and I'm going to do a robbery before this day. <laughs> Over. So you can't give me that drug. You know, it's just nuts what they're doing, it's right? And the more they call it harm reduction, it just gets me. It's just like, how do you safely give out a drug that can kill you? Yeah. You know, like heroin wasn't popular when I was young, you know? Like there was the odd couple of junkies, you know what I mean? And uh, man, times have changed, eh? You know, like so... Bringing people back from that insanity, these youngsters, mm -hmm. I'm kind of rambling, but I'm, it's okay, eh? Give her. They're almost proud of how many times they overdosed. Yeah. For sure. You know, I'm like, wow. I mean, I OD'd, I was scared fucking shitless. I was hanging on to life, like, <coughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, times change. Okay, but <coughs> I tell you what, recovery changed too. More people doing recovery, more positive energy. You know mm -hmm. what they need? They need to eat, sleep, feel good, make some friends, have some fun, right? Um, a lot of guys back in the day when they came into recovery, they lost a lot. And that was the big story. All the, yeah. I lost my family. I lost my business. I lost, I lost, I lost. These kids, they haven't lost shit. 
you know yeah. so it's a different story but they've lost their dignity integrity self-esteem you know they're they're lost in other ways and all of a sudden you can take these guys on this i call it the the wannabes and the used to bees and then there's some guys in the middle too but <laughs> you know like i had a pretty shitty story like one day i woke up in a park because i slept there and uh <laughs> I watched my wife walking down the street with another guy with my kids. Now, that should be enough for a guy to quit drinking, don't you think? <laughs> you know what I thought? I gotta move. <laughs> That's all I came up with, I moved. You know, it was just like, the influence wasn't there. Yeah. You know, I didn't have the support. I didn't have friends that were in recovery. And a lot of my friends were, hey, Dave, just don't do drugs, just drink. Well, you know, mm -hmm. that didn't work for no. me, you know? So <clears throat> I, I finally found out that addiction's not just alcohol or a drug or heroin or cocaine. It's addiction. Yeah. And addiction is my, you know, way that I recreate reality, you know, that I lie, that I don't take responsibility. That in the beginning, man, you hire me, I work hard. I'll be the best guy you ever hired. And I learn shit and I do shit and I got a lot of skills. And then after a while, I use a little, and then after, you know, maybe on the way there, on the way home, and then after a while, I use a little at work, and I find other people that do, after a little while longer, not much, I go to work with dope all the time. I love getting people loaded, and I tell you, if I run out of dope, I go home. Mm -hmm. You know, it just completely flips around where I can't put in 12 hours without getting wasted, you know, and uh, how did that happen? You know, because I still thought, oh, I, I could stop anytime I want. Oh, yeah. And one time a friend of mine, this Eric, says to me, this is when I first time I went to treatment at 21, 22, somewhere around there. He's like, okay, you can stop anytime. Yeah, I could stop. I'm like, okay. And I make half an hour. Yeah. Ah, fuck him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need him anyway, For sure. you know. <laughs> but I was surprised by it. I did a lot of soul searching on that one, and then I started trying. Yeah, you know, and uh, and that's when the shitty part comes. Once you realize that it's not a choice. Yeah, yeah. You know, even people that were loaded, it's like, hey man, I'm coming over. They're like, no, you fucking not. Yeah. <laughs> or or you people that are using with you, not as bad as you. How many times I have people look me in the eye and go, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> and I'd be like, what? <laughs> exactly. My, I got no off switch anymore. So yeah. I lived my way to that spot, you know, like I did have a family. I did have a career, you know, like mm -hmm. I had a reason to live. Like I was building a good life, but I brought alcohol and drugs into that life until that was more important than my wife, yeah, my kids, my for family. Sure. I, I started, it changed me. I'm not the same anymore. I remember one day looking in the mirror. And I look myself right in the eyes and I go like, I go, you're fucking getting it. I was so pissed. Yeah. I was pissed off, eh? <clears throat> it was like, I need help, mm -hmm. you know? When I went to treatment, there, I was in the Chaco Center in Prince George and there was a cook that worked there that was in the program. He took me to a meeting every night. Go, he asked me, do you want to go? And so I'm, the one night, and I'm like, yeah, okay. And I'm on the way back, we talked all the way there because there's a before, a during, and an after. We talked all the way there. The meeting was really good, like good energy, like it resonated with me. I'm like, wow. Well, yeah, I wasn't loaded in the meeting, yeah. so I heard something. But on the way home, there was a conversation. And then while I was in, in treatment, I was changing. And they're like, they were feeling pretty happy about their therapy, which had nothing to do with what I was changing. And then he, he's like, oh, I'm going to a meeting tonight. Do you want to go? Absolutely. 
And then the next night, I went and looked for him before he found me. Yeah. It was the best part of the whole deal. It's the fucking cooks, man. It was yeah. the cooks. So <laughs> in my program, the cooks in recovery. Yeah. Always. That's so you cool. Know, if, if I drive to the dump, it's a conversation about recovery. Yeah. You know, like that. Everything should be about, it, it, it's, an, it, it's, it's integral. Yeah. You know, if it's some just, you know, okay, on Tuesday we're going to do this. Well, how about if that doesn't apply to anybody in the room and you're just going to do it? Yeah. So it's really flexible, open-ended, and, you know, like, yeah, we just, you know, get into it. And my guys are into it, and it shows it's in their lives. You know, they're living good lives, and they bring that energy, you know, so. Oh, my gosh, that's so cool. Inspires me still. Like when I went to treatment, Rick's talking, the cook ideas. The cook, where the treatment center I went to in Saskatchewan, a private center, the cook was in recovery as well. And I was there three or four days before program started. So I'm just bumming around the place, watching movies, reading literature. And he brought me down. It happened to be my belly button birthday that day. And he said, well, fuck, do you want a cake tonight? Or I got a lot of hamburger left over from making meatballs for tonight. How about I make you a birthday burger this morning? We sat down and had the biggest burgers with fried (laughs) eggs on them. And ever since then, every year on February 11th, I have a hamburger. Right on. (laughs) Recovery burger. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's funny because the cook resonates for sure. Well, some people didn't have like that kind of meaning in life. Mm -hmm. That's what I meant about the used to be's and wannabes. And some people had that and lost it. Man, when you bring them together, so there's this thing if, that I learned over the years. If somebody had recovery, like, you know, five years, 10 years clean, whatever, relapse, they would come back. It would just be repetitive over and over and over and over. And there was this psychology of coming back, which is really painful, chaotic, insane, mm-hmm. nothing but problems. But you go from coming back to being back. And once you're being back, you're connecting to new people yeah. and their energy. And it's their energy that gets you through, not your own. Mm-hmm. And guys who used to be clean are always trying to muster up that energy, tell other people what to do. And it's just like, dude, slow down a bit. You're insane. Yeah. To watch somebody go back to where we call it get your heart back to where yeah that was bad but i'm feeling pretty good right now and get them into the rhythm and in mm-hmm. back into recovery right you know i really like that one because i've watched a lot of people who had recovery and and they die yeah. you know often they you feel so bad about it they don't even want to come back yeah you know? so you know that was a a good target and the guys who'd never been clean before it makes a good mix the more it's funny the more diverse your group is like gay straight black white young old um, different races different cultures different religions you know the more diverse the stronger you are yeah you know so it doesn't have to be sliced and diced into a specific guy uh, the working guys, you know, and the guys who never worked, it don't make no difference, you know. I had an old uh, military colonel go through the door, and this guy, he managed 800 troops, you know what I mean? Like, he was the guy, and his drinking almost got him, and he came into the door. The family rescued him. He loved it. He goes, wow, he goes, this reminds me of the military. Well, next thing you know, he had the guys, like, stepping and marching and doing it. <laughs> and I'm like, look, dude, you can't take over the whole place, but the boys are having fun. Every year when they had Memorial Day, all the boys showed up and wow. went with them. You know, there was this, it was part of our culture now to respect yeah. that and to respect him and our community. And and, the, and those all those little things like that is how Recovery Day grew in our community. The Gay Pride Parade, you know, it's like 
we went in and we're going to put in the best float and crank tunes and hundreds of people and you know we just made it every year right and the thing we wanted to do with that because they had never had a sober or clean event mm -hmm. we're like okay we're going to do a clean event at uh, at pride and that had never happened in the world and go figure it went from that first year full to sold out to the biggest event of the whole thing and and other people are picking up on it and wanting to do it and it's like no smoking back in the day we smoked in meetings and you had to kind of sit a little low because there'd be a cloud For right sure. here because guys are just chain smoking through the whole meeting so we said okay we're going to do a a non-smoking meeting wow that's bullshit yeah. nobody will go <clears throat> always the negativity right and and a lot of us were still smoking when we did it but we're just like hey let's get rid of the halftime do an hour meeting because most of us can't pay attention for an hour and a half anyway <laughs> and go figure it ended up being one of the best meetings in town and most of the people that went there still smoked yeah because they were all sick of it no. well now all of our meetings are no smoking right that's change cultural change more like more people are choosing health as part of life and part of recovery as well right so you know we didn't get any support like hey here's a bunch of money to pull this off and we got nothing but bullshit from people but we knew it was the right thing to do we had a guy who had a really bad lung thing they told me he's gonna die if he didn't quit smoking i had 23 guys who smoked said hey we'll quit to support him and they did my part was hey i'll put more into the food entertainment you know i'll support you guys it became part of our therapeutic approach and the only one who didn't make it was him <laughs> which was and i said to the guys hey if you guys want to go back because i used to buy the tobacco to avoid conflicts yeah stealing shit like that right when you got smoking you got petty theft yeah. bullshit. and they're like no this is the best this is great and i'm like okay boom you're a no smoking program and wow and it has stayed that way well i know it's over 25 years so that's you know, amazing yeah well we are getting to our time here so if you got one thing you can say to anybody out there using how would you well what would your bit of wisdom to be? Still using, eh? Or contemplating not, like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Jesus, eh? You know, um, I guess the message is, is, is you can enjoy this. Because a lot of people ask that. Well, what am I going to do for fun? And when you yeah. say to them, well, are you having fun? It's like that doctor saying people have the right to their euphoria. Drive down Hastings Street. You're not going to see euphoria. It's mm -hmm. insanity, right? Um for us to have a voice to talk about that you can have adventures, travel, be in love, have a family, live well, have life, like life, like sobriety, clean time, life, that it means something. And it's not the, it, maybe it's the end of the bullshit and the beginning of something new. Yeah. And we lead by example, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you guys asked me to talk. Thanks. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. You're, you're one of the most inspiring dudes I've ever had the opportunity to talk with, and I appreciate the time you make. And I hope to God you're around next year, and we can do round two we'll of this the next well, conference. You guys got to come visit, bring him with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for yeah, sure. We'll put you up, and it will be so cool. We'll yeah. definitely come out. Do you ride? 
No, I don't. Well, but I got spare bikes. <laughs> I'm we can back. probably I'm figure it out. Eight bikes. <laughs> I do ride, but Rick thinks I'm crazy. I ride bicycle without a motor on it. Oh yeah. So I rode my first year recovery. Three months out of treatment, I took off from Vancouver with a friend, loaded our bikes with gear, camping gear, and we rode to Halifax that whole summer. Oh, right on. And it was that. amazing. Hit yeah, meetings yeah. across the whole country. Beautiful. When you talk about speaker tapes. That's what I did for eight yeah. hours a day is listen to yep. literature, listen to speaker tapes, and just Yeah, let I do it, it on my bike, same yeah, thing. And was, I got the book on tape, so they'll read the steps, traditions, concepts. I just want something in my head besides bullshit. Absolutely, right? You know, that's why I don't mostly don't watch the news. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah, we laugh about that. It's the only program that comes on and says starts with good evening and then proceeds to tell you why yeah. it's not. <laughs> That's it's, it's true. Yeah. It's garbage. Yeah. Well, thanks for making time. It is truly a privilege to have you on as a guest. And, Absolutely. Uh, look forward to the next one. Pretty awesome. Anytime. Thanks, Dave. Bye. Thanks, Dave. From Darkness to Life is an Our Collective Journey podcast. These are the true stories of struggles and triumphs against addiction and mental health challenges. If these stories resonate with you and you or someone you love need help and don't know where to turn, Our Collective Journey is here for you. Please consider supporting OCJ by visiting ourcollectivejourney.ca and clicking donate. All proceeds go to supporting the health and wellness of people in our community. Hosted by members of Our Collective Journey. Produced by Rob Pape. Engineered, edited, and directed by Dave Cruikshank. From Darkness to Life is a plugged-in media network exclusive. Thank you for listening.